Section 72 of A Popular History of France, Volume 5. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Popular History of France from the Earliest Times, Volume 5, by François Guizot. Translated by Robert Black. Chapter 48. Louis Fourteenth, Literature and Art. Part 7. Racine for a long while enjoyed the favours of the king, who went so far as to tolerate the attachment the poet had always testified towards Port Royal. Racine, moreover, showed tact in humouring the susceptibilities of Louis the Fourteenth and his counsellors. Father Bonheur and Father Rapin, Jesuits, were in my study when I received your letter, he writes to Boileau. I read it to them on breaking the seal, and I gave them very great pleasure. I kept looking ahead, however, as I was reading, in case there was anything too jansenistical in it. I saw towards the end the name of M. Nicole, and I skipped boldly, or rather mean-spiritedly, over it. I dared not expose myself to the chance of interfering with the great delight, and even shouts of laughter, caused them by many very amusing things you sent me. They are both of them, I assure you, very friendly towards you, and indeed very good fellows." All this caution did not prevent Racine, however, from displeasing the king. After a conversation he had held with Madame de Maintenon about the miseries of the people, she asked him for a memorandum on the subject. The king demanded the name of the author, and flew out at him, quote, "'Because he is a perfect master of verse,' said he, "'does he think he knows everything? And because he is a great poet, does he want to be minister?' Madame de Maintenon was more discreet in her relations with the king than bold in the defence of her friends. She sent Racine word not to come and see her until further orders. Quote, let this cloud pass, she said, I will bring the fine weather back. End quote. Racine was ill, his naturally melancholy disposition had become sombre. I know, madame, he wrote to madame de Maintenon, what influence you have, but in the house of Port Royal I have an aunt who shows her affection for me in quite a different way. This holy woman is always praying God to send me disgraces, humiliations, and subjects for penitence. She will have more success than you. End quote. At bottom his soul was not sturdy enough to endure the rough doctrines of Port Royal. His health got worse and worse. He returned to court. He was readmitted by the king, who received him graciously. Racine continued uneasy. He had an abscess of the liver, and was a long while ill. Quote, when he was convinced that he was going to die, he ordered a letter to be written to the superintendent of finances, asking for payment, which was due, of his pension. His son brought him the letter. Why, said he, did you not ask for payment of Boileau's pension, too? We must not be made distinct. Write the letter over again, and let Boileau know that I was his friend even to death. When the latter came to wish him farewell, he raised himself up in bed with an effort. I regard it as a happiness for me to die before you, he said to his friend. An operation appeared necessary. His son would have given him hopes. And you, too, said Racine, you would do as the doctors and mock me. God is the master and can restore me to life, but death has sent in his bill. He was not mistaken. On the 21st of April, 1699, the great poet, the scrupulous Christian, the noble and delicate painter of the purest passions of the soul, expired at Paris at fifty-nine years of age, leaving life without regret, spite of all the successes with which he had been crowned. Unlike Corneille with the Cid, he did not take tragedy and glory by assault. He conquered them both by degrees, raising himself at each new effort, and gaining over, little by little, the most passionate admirers of his great rival. At the pinnacle of this reputation and this victory, at thirty-eight years of age, he had voluntarily shut the door against the intoxications and pride of success. He had mutilated his life, 
buried his genius in penitence, obeying simply the calls of his conscience, and with singular moderation in the very midst of exaggeration, becoming a father of a family and remaining a courtier, at the same time that he gave up the stage in glory. Racine was gentle and sensible even in his repentance and his sacrifices. Boileau gave religion the credit for this very moderation. Quote, reason commonly brings others to faith. It was faith which brought M. Racine to reason. End quote. Boileau had more to do with his friend's reason than he probably knew. Racine never acted without consulting him. With Racine, Boileau lost half his life. He survived him twelve years without ever setting foot again within the court after his first interview with the king. Quote, I have been at Versailles, he writes to his publisher, M. Brassette, where I saw Madame de Maintenon, and afterwards the king, who overcame me with kind words. So here I am, more historiographer than ever. His Majesty spoke to me of M. Racine in a manner to make courtiers desire death, if they thought he would speak of them in the same way afterwards. Meanwhile that has been but very small consolation to me for the loss of that illustrious friend, who is none the less dead, though regretted by the greatest king in the universe. Quote, Remember, Louis the Fourteenth had said, that I have always an hour a week to give you when you like to come. End quote. Boileau did not go again. Quote, what should I go to court for? He would say, I cannot sing praises any more. At Racine's death, Boileau did not write any longer. He had entered the arena of letters at three and twenty after a sickly and melancholy childhood. The Art Poétique and the Lutrin appeared in 1674. The first nine satires and several of the epistles had preceded them. Rather a witty, shrewd, and able versifier than a great poet, Boileau displayed in the Lutrin a richness and suppleness of fancy which his other works had not foreshadowed. The broad and cynical buffoonery of Scarron's burlesques had always shocked his severe and pure taste. Quote, Your father was weak enough to read Virgile Travesti and laugh over it, he would say to Louis Racine, but he kept it dark from me. End quote. In the Lutrin, Boileau sought the gay and the laughable under noble and polished forms. The gay lost by it, the laughable remained stamped with an ineffaceable seal. Quote, Monsieur de Pro, wrote Racine to his son, has not only received from heaven a marvellous genius for satire, but he has also, together with that, an excellent judgment, which makes him discern what needs praise and what needs blame. End quote. This marvellous genius for satire did not spoil Boileau's natural good feeling. Quote, he is cruel in verse only, Madame de Sévigné used to say. Racine was tart, bitter in discussion. Boileau always preserved his coolness. His judgments frequently anticipated those of posterity. The king asked him one day who was the greatest poet of his reign. Quote, Molière, sir, answered Boileau without hesitation. Quote, I shouldn't have thought it, rejoined the king, somewhat astonished, but you know more about it than I do. End quote. Molière, in his turn, defending La Fontaine against the pleasantries of his friends, said to his neighbor at one of those social meals in which the illustrious friends delighted, quote, Let us not laugh at the good soul, or bonhomme, he will probably live longer than the whole of us. End quote. In the noble and touching brotherhood of these great minds, Boileau continued invariably to be the bond between the rivals. Intimate friend as he was of Racine, he never quarrelled with Molière, and he hurried to the king to beg that he would pass on the pension with which he honoured him to the aged Corneille, groundlessly deprived of the royal favours. He entered the academy on the 3rd of July, 1684, immediately after La Fontaine. His satires had retarded his election. Quote, he praised without flattery, he humbled himself nobly, says Louis Racine, and when he said that admission to the academy was sure to be closed against him for so many reasons, he set a thinking all the academicians he had spoken ill of in his work. End quote. He was no longer writing verses when Perrault published his Parallèle des Anciens et des Modernes. Quote, if Boileau do not reply, said the Prince of Conti, 
you may assure him that I will go to the academy and write on his chair, Brutus, thou sleepest, end quote. The ode on the capture of Namur, intended to crush Perrault whilst celebrating Pindar, not being sufficient, Boileau wrote his Réflexions sur Longin, bitter and often unjust towards Perrault, who was far more equitably treated and more effectually refuted in Fenelon's letter to the French Academy. Boileau was by this time old. He had sold his house at Auteuil, which was so dear, but he did not give up literature, continuing to revise his verses carefully, preoccupied with new editions, and reproaching himself for this preoccupation. Quote, it is very shameful, he would say, to be still busying myself with rhymes and all those Parnassian trifles, when I ought to be thinking of nothing but the account I am prepared to go and render to God. End quote. He died on the 13th of March, 1711, leaving nearly all he had to the poor. He was followed to the tomb by a great throng. Quote, he had many friends, was the remark amongst the people, and yet we are assured that he spoke evil of everybody. End quote. No writer ever contributed more than Boileau to the formation of poetry. No more correct or shrewd judgment ever assessed the merits of authors. No loftier spirit ever guided a stronger and a juster mind. Through all the vicissitudes undergone by literature, in spite of the sometimes excessive severity of his decrees, Boileau has left an ineffaceable impression upon the French language. His talent was less effective than his understanding. His judgment and his character have had more influence than his verses. Boileau had survived all his friends. La Fontaine, born in 1621 at Chateau-Thierry, had died in 1695. He had entered in his youth the brotherhood of the oratory, which he had soon quitted, being unable, he used to say, to accustom himself to theology. He went and came between town and town, amusing himself everywhere, and already writing a little. Quote, For me the whole round world was laden with delights. My heart was touched by flower, sweet sound, and sunny day. I was the sot of friends and eke of Lady Gay. End quote. Fontaine was married without caring much for his wife, whom he left to live alone at Chateau-Thierry. He was in great favor with Fouquet. When his patron was disgraced, in danger of his life, La Fontaine put into the mouth of the nymphs of Vaux his touching appeal to the king's clemency. Quote, May he then o'er the life of high-souled Henry Poor, who with the power to take, for vengeance yearned no more, oh, into Louis' soul this gentle spirit breathe. Later on, during Fouquet's imprisonment at Pignerol, La Fontaine wrote further, quote, I sigh to think upon the object of my prayers. You take my sense, Ariste. Your generous nature shares the plaints I make for him who so unkindly fares. He did displease the king, and lo, his friends were gone. Forthwith a thousand throats roared out at him like one. I wept for him despite the torrent of his foes. I taught the world to have some pity for his woes. End quote. La Fontaine has been described as a solitary being, without wit and without external charm of any kind. La Bruyère has said, quote, a certain man appears loutish, heavy, stupid. He can neither talk nor relate what he has just seen. He sets himself to writing, and it is a model of story-telling. He makes speakers of animals, trees, stones, everything that cannot speak. There is nothing but lightness and elegance, nothing but natural beauty and delicacy in his works. Quote, he says nothing or will talk of nothing but Plato, Racine's daughters used to say. All his contemporaries, however, of fashion and good breeding, did not form the same opinion of him. The dowager duchess of Orléans, Marguerite of Lorraine, had taken him as one of her gentlemen-in-waiting. The duchess of Bouillon had him in her retinue in the country. Madame de Montespan and her sister, Madame de Tiange, liked to have a visit from him. He lived at the house of Madame de la Sablière, a beauty and a wit, who received a great deal of company. He said of her, quote, warm is her heart, and knit with tenderest ties to those she loves, and elsewise otherwise. For such a sprite, whose birthplace is the skies, 
of manly beauty blent with woman's grace, no mortal pen, though fain, can fitly trace. End quote. Quote, I have only kept by me, she would say, my three pets, or animaux, my dog, my cat, and La Fontaine. End quote. When she died, Monsieur and Madame Dervard received into their house the now old and somewhat isolated poet. As Dervard was on his way to go and make the proposal to La Fontaine, he met him in the street. Quote, I was coming to ask you to put up at our house, said he. Quote, I was just going thither, answered Fontaine with the most touching confidence. There he remained to his death, contenting himself with going now and then to Chateau Thierry, as long as his wife lived, to sell, with her consent, some strip of ground. The property was going, old age was coming. Quote, John did no better than he had begun, spent property and income both as one. Of treasure saw small use in any way, knew very well how to get through his day. Split it in two, one part as he thought best, he passed in sleep, did nothing all the rest. He did not sleep, he dreamed. One day dinner was kept waiting for him. Quote, I have just come, said he as he entered, from the funeral of an aunt. I followed the procession to the cemetery, and I escorted the family home. End quote. It has been said that La Fontaine knew nothing of natural history. He knew and loved animals. Up to his time, fable writers had been merely philosophers or satirists. He was the first who was a poet, unique not only in France but in Europe, discovering the deep and secret charm of nature, animating it with his inexhaustible and graceful genius, giving lessons to men from the example of animals, without making the latter speak like man. Ever supple and natural, sometimes elegant and noble, with penetration beneath the cloak of his simplicity, inimitable in the line which he had chosen from taste, from instinct, and not from want of power to transport his genius elsewhither. He himself has said, quote, Yes, call me truly, if it must be said, Parnasian butterfly, and like the bees wherein old Plato found our similes. Light rover I, forever on the wing, flutter from flower to flower, from thing to thing, with much of pleasure mix a little fame. End quote and in psyche, quote, music and books, and junketings and love, and town and country, all to me is bliss. There nothing is that comes amiss, in melancholy's self-grim joy I prove, end quote. The grace, the naturalness, the original independence of the mind and the works of La Fontaine had not the luck to please Louis the Fourteenth, who never accorded him any favor, and La Fontaine did not ask for any, quote, all dumb I shrink once more within my shell, where unobtrusive pleasures dwell, True, I shall here by fortune be forgot, her favours with my verse agree not well, to importune the gods beseems me not. Once only, from the time of Fouquet's trial, the poet demanded a favour. Louis the Fourteenth, having misgivings about the propriety of the Comte of La Fontaine, had not yet given the assent required for his election to the French Academy, when he set out for the campaign in Luxembourg. La Fontaine addressed to him a ballad. Quote, just as in Homer Jupiter we see alone or all the other gods prevail. You, one against a hundred though it be, balance all Europe in the other scale. Them like an eye to those who in the tale mountain on mountain piled, presumptuously warring with heaven and Jove. The earth clave he, and hurled them down beneath huge rocks to wail. So take you up your bolt with energy, a happy consummation cannot fail. Sweet thought that doth this month or two avail to somewhat soothe my muse's anxious care for certain minds at certain stories rail, certain poor jests which naught but trifles are. If I with deference their lessons hail, what would they more? Be you more prone to spare, more kind than they, less sheathed in rigorous mail. Prince, in a word, your real self declare, a happy consummation cannot fail. 
the election of boileau to the academy appeased the king's humour who preferred the other's intellect to that of la fontaine quote, the choice you have made of m despreaux is very gratifying to me he said to the board of the academy it will be approved of by everybody you can admit la fontaine at once he has promised to be good it was a rash promise which the poet did not always keep the friends of la fontaine had but lately wanted to reconcile him to his wife they had with that view sent him to chateau thierry he returned without having seen her whom he went to visit quote, my wife was not at home said he she had gone to the sacrament or salut he was becoming old those same faithful friends racine boileau and maucroix were trying to bring him home to god racine took him to church with him a testament was given him quote, that is a very good book said he i assure you it is a very good book then all at once addressing abbe boileau quote, doctor do you think that St. Augustin was as clever as Rabelais? He was ill, however, and began to turn towards eternity his dreamy and erratic thoughts. He had set about composing pious hymns. Quote, the best of thy friends has not a fortnight to live, he wrote to Maucroix. For two months I have not been out, unless to go to the academy for amusement. Yesterday, as I was returning, I was seized in the middle of Rue du Chantre with a fit of such great weakness that I really thought I was dying. Oh, my dear friend, to die is nothing, but thinkest thou that I am about to appear before God? Thou knowest how I have lived. Before thou hast this letter, the gates of eternity will perchance be opened for me. Quote. Quote, he is as simple as a child, said the woman who took care of him in his last illness. If he has done amiss, it was from ignorance rather than wickedness. A charming and a curious being, serious and simple, profound and childlike, winning by reason of his very vagaries his good-natured originality his helplessness in common life la fontaine knew how to estimate the literary merits as well as the moral qualities of his illustrious friends quote, when they happened to be together says he in his tale of psyche and had talked to their hearts content of their diversions if they chanced to stumble upon any point of science or literature they profited by the occasion without however lingering too long over one and the same subject but flitting from one topic to another like bees that meet as they go with different sorts of flowers envy malignity or cabal had no voice amongst them they adored the works of the ancients refused not the moderns the praises which were their due spoke of their own with modesty and gave one another honest advice when any one of them fell ill of the malady of the age and wrote a book which happened now and then in this case acanthus or racine did not fail to propose a walk in some place outside the town in order to hear the reading with less noise and more pleasure he was extremely fond of gardens flowers foliage folifil or la fontaine resembled him in this but then folifil might be said to love all things both of them were lyrically inclined with this difference that acanthus was rather the more pathetic polyphile the more ornate end quote when la fontaine died on the thirteenth of april sixteen ninety five of the four friends lately assembled at versailles to read the tale of psyche moliere alone had disappeared la fontaine had admired at vaux the young comic poet who had just written the facheux for the entertainment given by fouquet to louis the fourteenth it is a work by moliere this writer of a style so rare is nowadays the court's delight his fame so rapid is its flight beyond the bounds of rome must be amen for he's the man for me in his old age he gave vent to his grief and his regret at Moliere's death in this touching epitaph, quote, Beneath this stone Plautus and Terence lie. Though lieth here but Moliere alone, their threefold gifts of mind made up but one, that witched all France with noble comedy. Now are they gone, and little hope have I that we again shall look upon the three dead men. Methinks, while countless years roll by, Terentius, Plautus, Moliere will be. End, quote. End of section 72